The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Commanders is the name for the long term of this team. We're focusing on that. We're focused on winning, fo- winning football games for the rest of the season, fixing the state and engaging with the city. And I know that is a topic that people in Washington want to talk about. And that's, but we're right now we're we're, we're focused on the things that we think are, are really important right now. That was owner Josh Harris yesterday at the Sports Business Journal's Dealmakers Conference. Uh, answering a question about the name. Another non-committal about the current situation, but also uh, a simultaneous pushing into the future uh, the conversation about the name uh, as they are focused on things that they can handle right now, like trying to build a winner, trying to keep the stadium upright that they're currently playing in. Uh, and as they've said uh, for uh, many months now, uh, re-engaging with the community. They do have other priorities right now, but... As I've said all along, uh, this will be something that they will look into. Look, I would imagine they've already begun to explore um, their options as far as the name is concerned. But as far as us hearing about it publicly, probably not until at the very earliest when the season ends. uh, And at that point, it will become uh, part of the active conversation about the team Again, uh, there were other answers he gave, none that were as um, significant as that one. He talked about, you know, the patience it takes to build a winner. And he said, uh, essentially, it's a long journey. There are no shortcuts to the top. There are shortcuts, he said, to the middle. If you want to be eight and eight, he said, I can get you there, eight, eight, eight and one. Um, but if you want to be great, there are no shortcuts. Uh, get after it, Josh. Can't wait to see what starts to happen when this season ends. But we've got a long way to go. Another five regular season games, another six regular season NFL weeks. Remember, after this game, Washington gets their bye week uh, next week. Uh, so next weekend, we can sit back and watch all of the other football that means something. Sunday at FedEx Field, Miami is in town. I've certainly got some thoughts on that coming up. Uh, Jay Gruden will be on the show in the next segment, as he is with us uh, every Friday. And I will finish up the show with a smell test. Uh, Nine selections, three on college football championship weekend, including one game tonight. 
uh, the Pac-12 championship game I have in the smell test, and then uh, another six games for your NFL Sunday and Monday night. Had a Monday night uh, winner with the Bears uh, this previous Monday night, and I've got another Monday night pick in the smell test at the end of the show. The smell test, as always, presented to you by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name, Kevin Sheehan. They'll take very good care of you. Right now, you can you can buy two windows, get two free, plus get 0% financing for five years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. How about the game last night? Thursday night football produced a very exciting game between Dallas and Seattle. It was also simultaneously very frustrating. Uh, I know with Tommy yesterday on the show, I said no smell test pick. You know, I think I said I'd probably lean Seattle. Uh, I know I said that on the radio show. I actually ended up playing Dallas last night. I lost. I gave the uh, that line kept climbing. I gave the nine and a half points and took the Cowboys. There was a lot of late steam, uh, sharp steam on Dallas last night. So I ended up taking them. Very frustrating uh, game to watch. Um, there are a couple of things. Look, if you're a Dallas fan, and I have friends who are Dallas fans, Kenny, uh, my good friend Cowboy Clay, who is very sensitive to any conversation about his Cowboy team that isn't over-the-top uh, effusive with praise. Uh, but um, they're really good. Like, they're really talented, and Dak Prescott is playing the best football of his career. And C.D. Lamb is an absolute stud. I was wrong about him, for sure. Um, When I said, you know, in years past, I actually don't think he's better than Terry McLaurin. Yeah, he's better than Terry McLaurin. Uh, As is D.K. Metcalf on Seattle's team. Uh, It was a shootout. There weren't any punts in the game last night. There are some wild stats that came out of the game last night. Here are a few of them. I'll start with this. Zero punts in the game last night. Just the sixth time in NFL history that a game is included zero punts. How about this one? Seattle last night became the first team in NFL history to lose a game in which they scored 35 or more points and didn't punt one time. Teams that had scored 35 points or more and not punted were 64-0 and since the Super Bowl era began in 1966, now 64-1. Uh, last night's game and what made it frustrating to watch were the penalty yards and the penalties in general. 257 penalty yards between the two teams, most in a game in two years, But the 180 penalty yards in the first half, the most in a game since 1991. How about the Cowboys? Fourth straight home game scoring 40 or more points. They scored 43 against the Rams, 49 against the Giants, 45 against Washington on Thanksgiving Day, uh, and then 41 uh, last night. Uh, That ties an NFL record for 40-point or more games in four consecutive home games in the NFL. Keep in mind, they have five games this year of 40 or more. They shut out the Giants in the opener, 
40 uh, to nothing. Uh, last night was the first game during the Pete Carroll era in Seattle where his team scored 35 or more and lost a game. They were 36 and 0 before uh, last night. Um, also, by the way, for the Cowboys, first win of the season versus a team 500 or better. They had. Uh, historically, one of the historically easy schedules through 11 games. Um, but they be- begin right now a very tough stretch. Eagles on Sunday night football uh, a week from Sunday night. The Bills on the road, the Dolphins on the road, and then the Lions before finishing up with Washington. So we'll learn a lot more about the Cowboys over the next four games. But they did last night beat a team that came ready to play. Seattle was impressive last night. They had gotten blown out on Thanksgiving night by the 49ers. They had lost to the Rams before that. They had barely beaten Washington. Um, they had you know, been crushed by the Ravens. And last night, uh, they were sharp. I thought Geno Smith in particular was really sharp last night. You don't always get that from Geno. I mean, it's really kind of Jekyll and Hyde with him. But he was outstanding. Uh, and it was a back-and-forth game. I mean, every single drive, with the exception of the drives that ended in turnover or in a fourth-down turnover-on-down stop, ended in a score. Um, the most frustrating thing, and and for you Cowboy fans out there, Clay, you in particular, look, you're, Dallas is really good right now. Dak Prescott's sensational. CeeDee Lamb's great. Cooks is really becoming a factor. Love the tight end Ferguson. Um, you know, the combination of Pollard and Dowdle, you know, I, I don't know that it's the best in the league, far from it, in fact. But, uh, you know, they've had their moments. Um, but, man, I mean, the penalties, seven in the first half for 107 yards against the Cowboys, they were flagged 11 times. The game overall had in it, as I told you, the, the 257 penalty yards, 19 accepted penalties, 25 total flags in the game, so six were declined. There were also, four, very oddly, four flags in the game picked up. Uh, it just was too much last night with the penalties. Seattle's a highly penalized team as well. They're the top two penalized teams in the league this year. But as we talked about when they uh, lost to Philadelphia uh, a month or so ago, This is just a problem that is an every-year problem for Mike McCarthy's Cowboys. They just have way too many self, you know, really self-destructive penalties, and and they're all so many of them are unforced. I mean, they lined up offsides last night four times. How can you do that in a game? How can one team continually line up offsides as much as Dallas does? I don't know. I think it's going to be hard for uh, a team that is tremendously talented. They have the ability, certainly, to win a lot of games in January, Um, certainly a couple of games. But when you commit penalties the way they do um, week in and week out, uh, it's just too self-destructive. I don't think they can win four in a row or three in a row if they were to win the division. 
Um, I just don't see that happening. I, I still see San Francisco and Philly, who will play on Sunday in the biggest game of the year in the NFC, as the two best teams in the NFC. But, man, that was a shootout offensively last night. Dallas had 33 first downs in the game. Uh, overall in the game, there were 58 first downs. The teams combined to go 17 of 28 on third down, and there were 817 yards to go with the 76 points uh, in the game. Uh, One other thing, too, real quickly uh, about Dallas. I mean, McCarthy just ain't the best at, you know, sort of managing a game. And at the very end of the game, if you guys were watching, you know what happened. Dallas is up 38-35. They've got a third and three at the Seattle 14-yard line. Seattle has just called their last time out with a minute 52 to go. You either have to, you know, call a bootleg rollout where there's an easy pitch and catch first down completion to end the game, but you also have the option of the quarterback, Dak Prescott, getting down, sliding down, or running for the first down. Um, But you've got to keep the clock moving after that play. That's 40 valuable seconds. And they threw a fade into the corner that had no chance for CeeDee Lamb. No chance. That's a terrible call. I don't know. Maybe it was a check, but if it was a check, it shouldn't have been a check option uh, for the Cowboys at the line of scrimmage. Those 40 seconds in that particular situation, because you're pretty much guaranteed of three to extend the lead to 41-35, that, that becomes a massive, massive priority because with no timeouts down six, is Seattle going to really be able to get down the field in a minute or less? Um, and you gave them 40 extra seconds, Mike McCarthy. A pitiful, uh, pitiful job uh, with the clock. Again, it would have been one thing to sort of roll out and throw something super safe trying to get the first down. Look, when they, when they dropped back to throw that ball, I was actually excited because I had Dallas laying the points, and it was my one way to get the win uh, and the cover at 45-35 had they scored, but it had no chance. Seattle then comes down, and uh, they're moving the football. They're at midfield with still a minute to go because they had those extra 40 seconds, uh, and they had a fourth and two, and they didn't block Micah Parsons. Uh, I mean, Geno Smith said that was the plan. I guess they had a screen called. The problem is that Micah Parsons is so fast. You can't leave him unblocked in any situation. They did, and Seattle is 6-6. Six and six. You know, the playoff picture in the NFC right now is that your sixth seed and your seventh seed are both 500 teams in Minnesota and Seattle, and Seattle's got a brutal stretch. The you know They played the Niners on Thanksgiving. They played the Cowboys last night. They play the Niners next week. Then they play the Eagles. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. You know, the Vikings are, you know, obviously struggling at the quarterback position. Uh, they have an easier schedule with the Raiders and the Bengals up next on the road. But I think the NFC is going to end up with a team that makes it at 8-9. and nine. I mean, 9-8 and eight is a 100% lock to make the postseason in the NFC. 
I think it's really possible we get into the final two weeks and eight and nine is a possibility for somebody. That means your five and six teams like Green Bay, the Rams, the Saints, your four and seven, you know, Buccaneers, they're all very much in the thick of the playoff race in the NFC. The four and eight teams, the Giants, Bears, and Commanders, uh, you know, if if somebody can win uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of four of their final five to get to eight and nine, it won't be Washington. Could it be somebody like Chicago? Um, I was thinking about them. They have the Lions after their bye week. They have the Browns, Cardinals, Falcons, and Packers. Uh, you know, they've played well with Justin Fields at times and lost like their game against Detroit two weeks ago. They had a two-score lead. And then they played a game like they did Monday night at Minnesota where Justin Fields didn't play that well, and they won 12-10. to 10. Um, You know, they have of their remaining five games, they've got two or three of them that are winnable for them. They'd have to pull off an upset or two to get to, you know, the eight wins that you'd probably have to have. I don't think they will. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, eight and nine's a possibility. By the way, if the Bears ended up winning a couple of games down the stretch, that would be great for Washington and their draft positioning. Uh, The Bears are tied with Washington and the Giants right now for the fourth worst record in the league, if the Giants and Bears can win some games down the stretch, Washington could end up with a top four pick. Uh, it would hurt their second round pick that they got from the Bears if the Bears won some games uh, in the Montez Sweat trade. Um, but uh, something to watch in the NFC. It'll be there's going to be a chance for some of these terrible teams to get on a mini roll and be in the thick of it down the stretch. No, I do not think it'll be. Washington. Um, so Washington Sunday at home against Miami. This is a bad matchup for Washington. You're talking about the team that gives up the most explosive plays on defense against the team that creates the most explosives or certainly one of the two or three top teams in the league at creating explosives offensively. It's a bad matchup for Washington. I really don't see how they are going to stop the likes of a running game led by Mostert Notchain, who is expected to be back, and then the Hill, Waddle, etc. group. It's just... Ron's calling plays. He's back at defensive coordinator. You know, that's an that's an intriguing storyline for Sunday. But still, the big storyline for Sunday in these final five games is Sam Howe and, to a slightly lesser degree, Eric Bieniemy. And, uh, you know, Eric Bieniemy said something yesterday um, that I want to read real quickly, which I, I actually – I don't know – I, I, I'd like to actually know what the actual truth is. I think I know what the truth is. But he was asked by John Kime early in the press conference yesterday. Uh, yesterday was coordinator day. He was asked about whether or not um, he has seen himself evolve as a first-time play caller. And he said, well, first of all, this is not my first time as a play caller. I've been doing this now for six seasons. So I've been in this role. I've been in this seat. I've been in this chair. And certain days are better than others. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, we're all striving for perfection, yada, yada, yada. Has he been in this seat? Been in this role? 
been in this chair. I can imagine for a guy like Eric Bieniemy to hear that question asked, and it's not the first time that it's been asked this year. And I think he has given a similar answer in the past, but it just sort of stood out to me yesterday to hear him uh, answer the question that way because I started to wonder, well, maybe he was much more involved in play calling in Kansas City. But I don't think he was. I I think he was involved in game planning and designing plays and probably got to call plays on occasion. But Andy Reid was the play caller and has been the play caller there. Matt Nagy was calling plays before he left for that job in Chicago or was as involved as maybe Biennemi was when Nagy left as a play caller. I don't know. I, I guess there's some pride there. With Eric Bieniemy, you know, wanting people to stop asking him, you know, how he's seen himself evolving, evolving as a play caller, because he, you know, sees himself as a guy who's been an offensive coordinator. Um, but I think personally, this role that he's in this year, I think he's stretching it a little bit there, and the role he's in this year is unique for him. Forget the assistant head coach title; that's unique. We know that. But I think having total autonomy over building, running, and calling an offense in the NFL, I think this is a first time for him. And there have been other times this year where he's actually said, look, I'm still learning on the job. So he's actually admitted the opposite of the case he was trying to make yesterday. But anyway, you know, I'm going to let it go. It's not a big deal. I just thought it was interesting, and I think it was him maybe – just getting his back straightened up to say, hey, wait a minute, man. I've been an offensive coordinator before. I've called plays before. Just not a lot. And just not in the role that he's had here in Washington. Okay. Uh, let's discuss the long shot possibility of Washington competing Sunday against Miami and how they would put themselves into a position to actually have a chance to pull off the upset. Actually, before I do that, I want to read this quick tweet from Kevin. He wrote, Kev, do you give us a chance on Sunday? Ron doesn't have that signature, that signature big upset win that he's had every year here. I think it's coming against the Dolphins. I don't, Kev, but thanks for the tweet. Um, but yeah, Ron's got a record here of pulling off a, a stunner. The Pittsburgh game in 2020, you know, on the road, a Monday afternoon COVID rescheduled game, 23 to 17, as they went on a run at the end of the year to win the division in the NFC East. 2021 was the off the bye week win over Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, 29 to 19, is 10 point underdogs. And then last year at Philadelphia on Monday Night Football to end the Eagles' hopes of an undefeated season. So he has pulled it off. You know, there are really two chances here, right? It would be Miami or San Francisco at home on New Year's Eve. I guess the season finale against the Cowboys, if the Cowboys have to win that game, that that would, you know, qualify uh, as well. Um, But, uh, oh, there was one other tweet. This was from Dave. Did you say to Tommy that if they beat the Dolphins, Ron has a chance to stay? No. Uh, somebody else also, and I'm, I, I, I was looking for it earlier. I couldn't find the other tweet. 
in my uh, in, in my notifications. But I, I I remembered somebody else clearly misinterpreting what Tommy and I were talking about yesterday. We were contemplating what would happen if they beat Miami, and I and Tommy asked me, "Could Ron save his job?" And I said, "Absolutely not." I don't think he could save his job with five wins down the stretch in a playoff berth, you know, unless they got on a run in the playoffs. I just don't, first of all, see that as even a possibility. And even if they played well down the stretch and pulled off a couple of upset wins, no. That ship has sailed, in my opinion, Dave. Um, But thanks for the tweet. So, how do they pull it off Sunday? Uh, They've got to score, number one. And when I say score, touchdowns plural. I mean, that's number one, because I don't see defensively them slowing Miami down and holding them to say 20 points like the Raiders did. Now, the only way that happens is if you get a bunch of turnovers and they turn the ball over three times against the Raiders in scoring just 20 a few weeks ago in a 20 to 13 win. But you've got to go in assuming you've got to score 27 plus points to have a chance. And that's number one. You know, Biennemi talked about it yesterday. You know, we moved the football against Dallas, but we didn't finish. You have to finish this week. And you have to finish with touchdowns. And while in the process of scoring, you got to probably possess the ball for a little while before you score. Not that you're going to turn down a 77-yard, you know, touchdown run by, by Brian Robinson Jr. if they actually hand the ball off to him. Um, but the best, you know, overall scenario would be to score 27 plus. You know, you've got in that scenario, you've got five scoring drives minimum, and those five scoring drives are long, drawn out, 12 play, 13 play, 14 play, five, six, seven minute drives. You know, we've seen this team capable of converting on third down and possessing the ball. And they'll have to do that because that becomes your best defense in a game against the Miami Dolphins. That keeps Tua and Tariq Hill and Jalen Waddell and Raheem Mostert uh, on the bench uh, without the football. Um, And so number one is scoring touchdowns. Number two is possessing the ball so that your offense becomes your best defense on the way to scoring touchdowns. Thirdly, to do both of those things, especially the second, possess the ball, you've got to be patient against a Vic Fangio defense. You will get, and I'll ask Jay about this, you'll get stuff between the 20s if you want it. He waits for you to make a mistake, and teams usually do. Um, you're going to have to block up their pressures. You know, they're without Jalen Phillips. They may be without Javon Holland as well. Uh, But take the underneath stuff, continue with the quick game, get the ball into your playmaker's hands, and let's move the chains. You know, move move, move the football, possess the football, but you got, you have to be patient against a Fangio defense. Lastly, and it's sort of the cliched key to a win for probably, you know, 20 teams in the league every week, but for a team like Washington facing a much better team like Miami, 
you can't turn the ball over. Uh, you've got to play a clean game if you want to have any chance. And in fact, you've got to have Miami play a game that isn't clean, and they have turned the ball over in recent games. Washington is third in the league in turnovers. They've got 22 on the season. Their turnover margin is dead last in the league. I actually didn't know that. I knew it was down near the bottom, but after the last couple of weeks, their turnover margin is dead last in the league. So uh, get some pressure on Tua. Ron's got to figure out how to get some pressure on Tua, get the ball you know, out earlier than he wants it to get out, uh, and you know, catch him if he throws him to you. Uh, you got to end up plus two or better in the turnover margin to have any legitimate chance in this game. Uh, all right, my final score prediction 35-24 Miami. I'm hopeful that offensively they, they can get something going this week and be a little bit more consistent and finish when they're down there. Um, you know, I have no reason to believe that they should be able to score 24 points against Miami. Miami's defense, as Tommy uh, mentioned the other day, has improved here recently. You know, the opponents have had something to do with that. They faced the Jets last week, the Raiders the week before that. You know, they had a game against the Patriots uh, before they played the Chiefs in Frankfurt. But they did a good job against the Chiefs defensively in that Germany game. Uh, you know, they were down 21 nothing at the half in that game, but I think there was a defensive touchdown in that game, wasn't there? I think there was like a fumble return in that game. 35-24 Miami. Maybe a chance for a backdoor cover. Uh, you're not going to hear this game in the smell test. Um, there's more public action on Miami for sure. Uh, but the sharp action's very split in this game. And uh, I don't, you know, I personally just – doesn't fit the formula, but I personally have a kind of a bad feeling about this one. I'll tell you what, if they do turn the ball over – you know, imagine they were to turn it over like just half the times that they did against the Giants. The Giants got 31. I mean, Miami might get 50 plus if they turn it over three times. They'll, they'll certainly get 40. Washington and Miami on Sunday. Uh, a history these two franchises have with one another having played in two Super Bowls against each other. Uh, there are only a few matchups that have happened twice or more in Super Bowl history. I think the Cowboys and the Steelers, they have matched up in Super Bowls three times against one another, uh, and that is the most. Uh, But Miami-Washington, San Francisco-Cincinnati, Dallas-Buffalo, Giants-Patriots, there are a couple of others, right? I think there are a couple of others. Uh, Patriots-Eagles is twice. And uh, I think I just got all of them. I believe I just got all of them. Um, yeah, I think those are the matchups that have happened at least twice in Super Bowl history. I may be missing one. If I'm missing one, tweet me with the one I'm missing. Dallas-Pittsburgh, three. And then Washington-Miami, San Francisco-Cincinnati, Dallas-Buffalo. Did I mention that one? Dallas-Buffalo. Forgot about that one. giants patriots Eagles Patriots. I think that's the list of Super Bowl matchups at least two times. I may be missing one. I could be missing more than one. Uh, Washington and Miami Sunday. I write 70 chip, everybody. Uh, Fourth and one, Rigo. 
Uh, that is the play in franchise history. I would love for the game to come down to fourth quarter, 17-13, and a chance on a fourth and one to go for it to take the lead. But then this particular weekend, I'd actually like Miami then to go down the field and win on a walk-off field goal or a walk-off touchdown. It's odd, man. Five games left, and I'm already in that mode of it's about next year and the future. But I kind of feel that way, and I think many of you do as well. But come Sunday, I'll probably be hoping that they at least don't embarrass themselves like they did on Thanksgiving Day. All right, Jay Gruden next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. This segment of the show brought to you by SurfsideDC.com. Your favorite spot for tacos in the district is making it easier than ever to feed your family fast. Lots of family time coming up this time of the year. And Surfside's fajita boxes are here to make your dinners easy. On the go or on your way home, they are the best way to feed your crew with a meal everyone will love. Fajita chicken, steak, veggies, and all the fixings in a convenient grab-and-go box. Thinking ahead? Hop online to order a fajita box in advance. On the fly, fajita boxes can be ready in minutes flat and delivered straight to your door. Learn more at SurfsideDC.com. This is the time of year. Family, friends, lots of football. Order one of Surfside's fajita boxes. Jumping on with us, as he does every Friday, uh, is Jay Gruden. 
and Jay got lucky last week with his lock of the week. You know, you were, I, I went back and listened to it just to make sure that I remembered the number that I gave you on Buffalo. I gave you three and a half. <clears throat> now, nobody yeah. that bet that game, unless they bet it on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, got it at three and a half. Everybody got it at three. I got it at three. I played it at three, too. Uh, so most people pushed, but I gave you three and a half. So it's another winner for you. And you are now Thank you. seven and three on your lock of the week on this show. Have you thought about your lock of the week for today? Are you going to wing it again? Uh, yeah. No, I already know it. You already know it. It's going to be Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Okay. Well, you just. Monday night football. Good, good tease there. We were going to tease that it was coming up. A little bit later on in the conversation, but well, you just asked me. I didn't know. I can't, I can't read people's minds. <laughs> so you got Jacksonville uh, on Sunday in their game um, against. Uh, I mean, Monday I night against Monday Bengals. Yes. Yeah, so right yeah. now, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the number right now. What do you think the number is? Can't wait to hear this. It's, it shouldn't be about fifteen, but it's only eight. It's eight and a half right now. It's eight and a half everywhere. Yeah. I don't see an eight anywhere. So you're going to have to give the half point because that's what our listeners who will be taking your pick, they'll be that's playing fine. at eight Why and a half. Why should be double digits easy? Um, Why it's only eight? Okay. Well, doesn't that make you wonder at all? No. No. I just, the Bengals are 30 with first ranked defense, and Jake Browning's not very good. And, the Jaguars are. I just don't understand it. It's weird. Yeah, it's it, is, it is kind of weird. At Jacksonville. I think, I think the line should be higher, too. Um, yeah. So, Jacksonville minus the 8.5. We just uh, – we didn't we didn't bury the lead on the show today. Uh, we got the Jay Gruden lock of the week out there. He is 7-3 and three so far this year. Uh, what did you think of last night's game? You know, I think uh, Dallas was exposed a little bit defensively. You know, I think um, you can put some points on the board and attack them physically like Seattle did, but I still believe that Dallas's offense is one of the tops in the league. Dak is playing extremely well, and he has a lot of different ways to hurt you, you know, with C.D. and Ferguson and Pollard and Cooks and Gallup. So they're, they're pretty darn good. They're going to be a tough out for sure. Yeah, I, the game was actually one of these games that was weird for me in watching it because it was a very exciting game. Nobody punted in the game the entire night. Um, and both t- teams made so many plays offensively. But it was just a flag fest the entire night. Yeah, And you, you ended up with 19 penalties for 257 yards. And there were another six penalties that were declined and another four flags that were thrown and picked up. I mean, you had, you had, what would that be? So that's 25. You had 29 flags thrown the entire night. And I just thought it made the game at times painful to watch. Yeah. Uh, NFL yeah. is getting hard to watch with all the penalties, in my opinion. I mean, any time a defense gets a stop, it's you got to look around your 360 around your head for a flag for illegal contact or something, you know, a late hit or a hit too low or hit too high. It's getting a little bit out of hand, in my opinion. There is no doubt that on a third down throw, as a football fan watching a game, when your team gets a stop, you are just waiting to see that yellow flag thing pop up on the screen. And you're just you're, you got to give it like five full seconds because sometimes it'll pop up a little bit late, 
But as long as you see the quarterback of the other team and the other offensive players walking towards their sideline, that's usually a pretty good sign. It's when you see them waiting yeah. around and looking at very, and then you're like, oh, shit, here we go, a legal contact. You know, Cooley and I have had this conversation many times before. I don't think that defensive holding or illegal contact um, should be an automatic first down. I, I think it's too punishing for you know a third and 20 or a third and 15 play to get bailed out on a play uh, on contact on the opposite side of the field as an example. I think it should be five yards and you replay the down. What do you think? 100%. It's the worst rule of football, in my opinion. Um, and then, and so you can call it almost on every play. If you play cover two and you're a corner and you're supposed to jam the receiver and you, some guys jam them at the line of scrimmage, some guys sit at five yards and you squat, they sit back a little bit and just punch them a little bit and, and knock them off there. You could call that every, every play almost. It's, it's awful. It's the worst call in football. And it definitely should be a five yard penalty without the automatic first down. Cause how many times has teams been had third and 15 and been bailed out by a legal contact penalty away from the ball? A it's, lot. Uh, it's it's getting hard. they're up forty. I heard I read their. I think I read they're up forty nine percent this year on that call alone. Yeah, uh, it seems like it. I didn't. I didn't see that number. That's interesting. Um, I think the flip side argument is that if it's third and seventeen, then you're going to have corners out there. You know, basically, if they get beat off the line, they're just going to reach out. They're going to grab. Um, and you're gonna you're, you're gonna you're, you're gonna have a, a, a disadvantage turned into advantage because it's only five I yards. I said illegal contact, not holding. Holding is different. Okay, so you you would do it for illegal contact, not holding. So holding yeah. is when you actually hold. The legal contact is outside that that line of scrimmage area when you make any kind of contact. Yes. Um, Within five yards, you know, if you guy if you make contact with a guy six yards down the field, you can get the penalty. Five-yard penalty, you just nudge him. It's the stupidest rule ever. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, by the way, I, Gina Smith is interesting to me because there are nights or days when you watch him and he is red hot uh, and he's on, and then there are other days where it looks like he does not know what he's doing. Do you like Gina Smith? You're, you hit it right on the head. I, I have no idea whether to like him or not because there are some games he looks like he's ever played before. And then there's some games he looks like a pro bowler. So I like quarterbacks that are a little bit more consistent to that, but I do think he's talented. I just don't know if I'd want him as my quarterback for 17 games because I figured eight of them, he looked bad and nine of them, he looked good. If we get in at nine and eight in the playoffs, I'm sure I'd like him. On Dallas, because uh, I have friends who are big Cowboy fans, we talk about it all the time. I just don't know how a team can win – three or potentially four games in January and February when they're penalized as much as Dallas is. And, t- and so many of the penalties are, you know, pre-snap penalties. They lined up offsides three times last night. Lined up offsides. H- how does Mike McCarthy not get that under wraps? I don't know. That's a weird penalty. I mean, just back up. I mean, usually you get warned first before they call it. <laughs> you know? Uh, on defense, maybe they'll say, hey, back up a little bit. And sometimes even before the snap, hey, back up 11 or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a weird deal. They've been penalized since I can remember coming in the league. It feels like Cowboys have always been penalized. So 
it's something you got to really focus on. He's got to make a huge point because you cannot have that many penalties in a playoff game and expect to win, especially against somebody like the Eagles or 49ers. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Eagles and 49ers. We'll get to Washington here in a moment. The game of the year in the NFC Sunday. Uh, who do you like and why? I like San Fran. Um, you know, just because I believe that when those guys are healthy, they are undefeated. Purdy, Samuel, um, Trent Williams, Ayuk, McCaffrey. That's a heck of a group of players, but it's going to be tough for them. But I still like San Francisco. Top to bottom, I think San Francisco has the best roster in the NFL. Uh, they're favored. Did you know that? They're favored on the road at Philly by two and a half, three. I did know that. I did know that, and I would probably lean towards taking San Fran. I just think they're um, pretty good right now. They're, they can beat you so many different ways with the running game, throwing the ball pretty is, I think, going to be after this game and talks for winning MVP. So they're pretty good in their defense, adding Chase Young, the speed on the edges. I think with both and Chase Young, ability to corral uh, Jalen Hurts will, will be a big factor in the game where he can't get outside the pocket and run. You think Purdy's got a chance to win the MVP? I do. I do. If he beats Philadelphia, I think he'll be right in the top three. And then, you know, with five or six, I think they still have to play uh, somebody else. Ball, Baltimore. Running, so. They play Baltimore they still on Christmas play Baltimore. night. Yep. Yep. So they beat Baltimore on Christmas night, and they beat Philadelphia. I think he's got to be, right? If that keeps going, he's going to be up there. Obviously, if Jalen wins this game, he's the front runner. So I think it's between those three. Uh, between Jalen and Brock Purdy, and who's the third, you said? Dak. Yeah, and Dak. Yeah, I mean, to me, we, it's funny. We had this conversation yesterday on the radio show um, that, you know, right now Hurts is the favorite. He's actually the biggest favorite that he's been this year. There's more separation between him and Mahomes than there's been all year long. Uh, Dak is the third favorite. Lamar's the fourth, and then it's Tua and Brock Purdy. But I, I made the case that you did, that Brock's got two incredible opportunities Sunday and against Baltimore. Um, so does Hertz. I mean, Hertz has already won, you know, these three games in a row, Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, with, you know, comebacks in the last uh, two games in particular. I actually think there's some Mahomes fatigue, um, and he's not having a Mahomes-like year, so I almost discount him. I probably shouldn't because he could go lights out the rest of the way. But I think Dak has to come up with a signature moment and a signature win. And I don't know that last night was it. Seattle was struggling coming into this game. He's going to have opportunities, though. Dallas's schedule really gets interesting here. It's Philadelphia, Buffalo, Miami, and Detroit over the next four games. So Dak's going to have an opportunity to make a run just the way you said Purdy did. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said Dak. If he, obviously, if he doesn't, he doesn't. But if, if Jalen beats Sam Rand, then it's going to be hard to overtake him, even if they lose a couple coming down the stretch. I mean, Jalen is played unbelievable. I mean, he's struggled in the first halves. He's played great in the second half. He's done whatever it takes to win, and that's what MVPs do. They carry the team on your shoulders, and they find ways to win, whether it's 31-30 or 10-7. He's just done a great job the entire year using his legs and his arm. We did this thing yesterday where we picked somebody kind of off the grid that over the final third of the season could could play great and, and get himself into the conversation. And I still... I don't understand, and I want your opinion on this, I don't understand people that watched the Philadelphia-Buffalo game on Sunday and came away with it thinking that Josh Allen isn't good enough. 
I thought he was incredible in that game, and I think they've got enough opportunities and are good enough that if they made a run down the stretch, like he's top three in a lot of the key, you know, quarterback uh, advanced numbers. What do you think of Josh Allen? And then just you know, do you give Buffalo any chance of resurrecting their season? I do, and Josh is an incredible player. Obviously, turnovers are his biggest issue, but. Buffalo would be two and twelve without Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen is unbelievable talent. He's big, strong, physical, can throw it. He's competitive. Obviously, he has some accuracy issues at times, overthrowing some guys and throwing into coverage at times. But I mean, can you imagine taking a job and having Josh Allen as your quarterback? How awesome that would be! I mean, seriously, he's he's an awesome player. I don't see anything bad about him other than an occasional turnover, which I could live with with the ability that he has and the plays that he makes that aren't scripted. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for me, like an off the grid guy, I mean, I, we haven't even mentioned, you know, the possibility of a Tariq Hill or, you know, the possibility of a, of a non quarterback. Cause it's pretty much become a quarterback award. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens uh, the rest of the week. Jo- Josh Allen has, still has a chance to strap guess, that team. I guess to his McCaffrey back. could go off for the last six games yeah. or whatever and, and be in the running, right? Yeah, you, you know he's he's up there. I think he's the highest. He's got the best odds of non quarterbacks. In fact, I'm looking at um, my bookie right now, and McCaffrey. Yeah, it's Hurts, Mahomes, Dak, Lamar, Tua, Brock Purdy, C.J. Stroud, and then McCaffrey. And then, then, then it's Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Tariq Hill, uh, Goff, Wilson, who's playing better, and then Miles Garrett's the only defensive player along with T.J. Watt um, on the board. Miles wow. um, Garrett's been something else this year. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever asked you about this, but it looks like Joe Flacco is going to start for, uh, for Cleveland Sunday in L.A., uh, more likely than not. What was your opinion of Joe Flacco when he was playing in Baltimore? Well, Joe has a powerful arm. He just the only issue with Joe is he can't move anymore, and you know it's it's hard to in this day and and in the NFL it's hard to come up with a plan with a quarterback that doesn't move unless he's just absolutely Peyton Manning or Tom Brady that you know just can understand coverages and throw the ball where it needs to be on every play. But I think if you have a game manager like Joe, if he can manage a game, hand the ball off, play actions, he's very good. He's got the arm talent for sure. Limit his true drop back passes then they'll be in the game. So um, having a veteran leader like that on your roster at this stage of the year when you're in the playoff hunt, I mean, there's, I think they're 7-3 and three or 8-3 and three or 7-4, and four, whatever it is, I think it's a good move by Cleveland to get a veteran like that. The issue is, obviously, if they get behind and have to come back, um, his ability to move will be an issue because their offensive line pass protecting isn't the greatest. Run blocking, they're a lot better than pass protecting. They'll have their issues. Um, we're kind of covering the NFL now, and so we're going backwards uh, based on what we usually do. But let me just finish up with that, and then we'll get to Washington. Is there a team right now um, that's in the hunt, you know, maybe not in it right now in terms of the playoffs, but they're in the hunt that you're uh, interested in and you think has a chance to make a run and be a factor when we get to the postseason? No, not really. I think the teams that are in the hunt, um, if they get in, great. They're not going to last long because I, I just think it's, I think you look at the top three teams in each conference, and I think they're clearly the best. So I don't think anybody can make a run deep in the playoffs and beat Philly or beat San Francisco or beat Dallas or beat the Kansas City Chiefs at Kansas City or even even Jacksonville, the way they're playing right now. So 
I think the top tier team, Baltimore as well. I think those six teams I just named are going to be in there. Nobody else will crack that. All right, so the only team that you're leaving out that may be a team that people would have in there would be Miami, Washington's opponent Sunday. Why'd you leave them out? I guess I shouldn't have. They're probably in there, too, obviously, <laughs> with the speed that they have. So seven. They're seven. Yeah, okay. Um, it's, and Detroit, you would not put in that mix right now. No, no, I don't think. I think defensively they're taking yeah. a major step back and – I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, I think they're leaking oil right now. I think the team that's interesting right now, just to keep an eye on, is Green Bay. They're good defensively, and Jordan Love looked awesome in that win over Detroit. He's had two games back-to-back that give you hope. The only thing that I would say beware of is one of them was against Detroit, whose defense is really poor right now, and the other one was against, I believe, the Chargers. It was. Not very good on defense either, so... Now they're playing. I think they play somebody pretty good on defense, and, and uh, I think they'll come back to life. Yeah, I think they played Pittsburgh right before, or may have been a couple of games before the Chargers and Lions, and he actually played pretty well. They lost a game that was very winnable, um, and uh, they're they're right there, you know, at five and six in the hunt. They play the Chiefs on Sunday night at Lambeau, but then I think they have the Panthers, the Giants, the Bears. Like I was looking at their schedule, oh, yeah. and it looked totally doable for them to make a run to get to you know, a, a six or a seven seed. It looks like Seattle now at six and six is in a bit of trouble. Um, I think be- eight and nine probably gets the seed, don't you think? I think eight and nine, nine and eight for sure get in, but eight and nine might get in. Nine and eight is a lock. In the NFC, yeah, no doubt, lock for sure. No doubt, and I think there's a chance eight and nine. Like Seattle's at six and six, and they're currently the seven, and they've got the 49ers and Eagles in their next two games. So oh, wow. that's that's eight. You know, that could be eight losses right there. Um, and then I forget who their their remainder remainder uh, of their schedule is, but uh, yeah, the I Rams think, are making a little bit of a move too. The Rams are right there. The Packers are right there. Yeah, the Ram- um, the Rams are interesting. This this Sunday's big. Uh, you should be able with Cleveland and a little bit of disarray. Even if Flacco starts, it's his first game. They they need to get this one. Sean needs to get this one, and that would get him to back to five hundred. Right there, five and six. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, they'd be right there. I, mean, I think they still have. I think they still have San Fran once, probably Seattle. So they can they can do it. Um. I don't have your Twitter up right now, but I, I'm just remembering. So what did you tweet out after the Thanksgiving Day game? Something about um, – did you tweet – what did I don't you – remember. <laughs> uh, I've had a lot of concussions. You love – I've had a lot of concussions. I, I'll tell you what, you've, you've become a big fan of social media. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I'm looking through it. It may have been something else that I'm thinking about. Um. All right, they lost by 35. Let's just start there. Uh, did you think – I mean, we talked that – we we recorded the interview Friday morning, our, our show last week. It was before Del Rio got fired, and we talked about it. You thought that there was, you know, there was a chance that something could happen there. You didn't know if it would, you know, be beneficial or not. So I'll just start there. What was your reaction to, you know, a couple of hours after we got done recording that segment last week, Del Rio being fired? Well, I just think defensively they have taken a major step back and they have not progressed at all. They have regressed in a major way. I know they lost two defensive ends that are really good, but um, they don't cover very well. Um, they don't rush a passer very well. They don't tackle very well. They don't pursue and they don't hustle as 
well as they should. They're not buying into whatever is being sold to them on defense, and it's not a lack of talent. Maybe it is a lack of talent, um, but I know that when you watch a defense play, you look at the energy, you look at the effort, you look at where they are and, and, where, and, and where they're supposed to be, and they're not where they're supposed to be, and they don't hustle and they don't tackle. So you got to make a move. You were under pressure with Joe Barry in particular for a couple of years uh, before you finally turned him loose. What was that like as you were going through that? Because the 2016 defense was an absolute train wreck. 2017 defense improved a little bit, but wasn't great. What was that like to have you know a defensive coordinator that was definitely under siege from media and fans about you know uh, the kind of defense you had? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, especially when you know I, I, a lot of it for me is, is personnel driven. How we're doing in a draft, what kind of players are they asking for, and we're getting them, and they're not producing, and um, so that's that was my biggest issue right there, draft and free agency, if we're getting the players they want and we're still not performing, you know, um, that's my biggest issue. But, you know, Joe's a good coach. He's obviously proven it right now at Green Bay. He's doing a good job there. But it's tough. Sometimes you got to make a change just for um, the sake of making change and hoping that the players buy into the next regime and, and the next system that you're trying to run. Why did you uh, – 2017 was uh, – it was early 2017 when you let him go, and Minuski was the defensive coordinator in 2017. But it took it, – I think some would say at the time it took you a while to move on from Joe Barry. Why did you stick with him? Was it because you thought he was a good coach and it was about personnel specifically? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I've known Joe for a long time. He's on staff at camp with my brother, so I've known Joe for a long time, so – now, I know he's a good coach. He's a linebacker coach with Derek Brooks and Shelton Corals and those guys and, and got those guys obviously to play well. Not that hard because they're really good. But, uh, you know, so I've known him for a long time. and I like the scheme and I like the system. But, you know, I just wanted to make a change and try to get some new blood in here. And part of it was, you know, Minuski was here and um, he was able to bring Jim Tom Sula with him, who was one of the top renowned defensive line coaches in the league. And I thought getting a defensive line coach is really one of the ones to get more pressure and, 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 bigger bodies and, and play better on the defensive line because and then Minuski knew the players so we went that route you know I was thinking as I was looking through some of the people on the staff um, while you were here uh, that you know Mike gets a lot of credit for putting together a staff that produced all of these head coaches you know that's that story's been well documented here in recent years but a lot of those guys ended up being on your staff too you know, uh, Shane Waldron, who probably is going to have a chance to be a head coach. Sean was your, you know, you're the one that elevated Sean into a, a position of, of significance and, and got him recognition. Do, do, yeah. you, do you, do you, um, I mean, I think some people think Wes Phillips is going to have a chance to be a head coach uh, at some point. I'm sure I'm forgetting some as well. Do you, Kevin O'Connell? Ke- of course, Kevin O'Connell. They were going to the coordinator for the Falcons. Right. So, do you ever feel uh, left out of the conversation of, hey, my staff was pretty good too? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I laugh when people say that Sean McVay is a Shanahan tree. There's, there's absolutely – I mean, he was on a staff. The Grudens are the one that brought Sean to the league. My brother hired Sean, and then I hired Sean, in the, or I brought Sean in the UFL with me, and then um, obviously he got a job with 
the Shanahan's, and then I tried to get, make him a receiver coach at Cincinnati when I got the coordinator job at Cincinnati, and uh, they blocked me and elevated him to tight end coach. That's how he got the tight end job. And then when I got the job at Washington, I obviously made him offensive coordinator. So, uh, yeah, and then Kevin O'Connell we brought in. and But I, I, it really doesn't matter who gets credit for what. Those guys are, you know, eventually branch off and become your own coach and your own guy and do things your own way once you get the opportunity. And those guys have obviously done a great job. I know that, but do you think that a lot of what Kevin O'Connell and Sean McVay, um, you know, and potentially others that will become head coaches, do you think a lot of what they got was from you and the Gruden tree more than the Shanahan tree or not? I think it's a combination of both. I would, I would like to think that we had some influence on them because we were pretty good, did some good things, the Grudens, uh, at one time. <laughs> we were pretty pretty good offensively both of us but you know who knows who knows you have to ask them that um all right back to the game last week it's weird and 45 to 10 doesn't say or or back up what I'm about to say but I'm curious as to whether or not you felt this way at all I actually thought it was a much more competitive game than the final score indicated and I thought it was because I thought offensively they actually played pretty well through like three quarters what did you think I agree, hundred percent. You know the issue is situational uh, dominance, and they obviously struggled mightily on third and fourth and one. You know, first third and one, they tried a double move to Terry, and Terry's a little quick and got covered, and then they go for it on fourth and one on a shotgun and don't get it, and then another third and one and fourth and one didn't get it. And I thought early in the game, I thought they should have gone for uh, one or both of those early fourth down and two to threes past midfield to try to get some momentum instead of punting and getting touchback or whatever they did. Uh, especially against an offense the way Dallas is playing. I think you need to try to maximize your possessions. But you're right. I think they did play well. I think Sam played well through the ball extremely well, except for the pick six. But, you know, unfortunately they couldn't punch the ball in or convert on some key situations. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, it's the Dolphins. They have been as explosive as any offense in the league at times. Um, they've not done well in their big games this year uh, against, you know, Miami. Against I'm sorry, against Buffalo. And against Kansas City, uh, the opportunities they've had to win some big games, similar in some ways to Dallas. Um, let's just start with them defensively before I hear what you think about them offensively and, and the job Mike McDaniel's doing. You've coached against Vic Fangio over the years. W- what's challenging about uh, about designing an offensive game plan against Fangio? Uh, Vic's a good coach. He actually is a guy that I targeted as defensive coordinator at one time. Unfortunately, I didn't get him. Um, he's when you were here, great, when the, you when you were here, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah, it was after my first year, um, but yeah, he's uh, he's a good coach. Obviously, he's got a good scheme. He's um, got a decent blitz package, but he's more of a cover oriented coach. Plays a lot of quarter quarter half, and he has a lot of formation coverage uh, coverage. He does. You line up in three by one, he'll play this. You line up in two by two, he'll play this. And and they're sound. And now that they add Jalen Ramsey back there in the secondary, that makes them all the more tough to deal with because Jalen is very versatile in what he can do in zone and man, and obviously he's a playmaker. So they're a formidable defense, and I think moving forward with the more that they play under Vic, this is now their 12th game, the better they're going to get. They're a team that's going to get better as the season ends, not worse. Uh, On defense you're talking specifically? Yeah, on defense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so offensively, how do you deal with what they throw at you? Well, I think – as much as you want to say about Tyreek and all of them, you gotta you gotta be able to stop the run because everything goes off of that. Their play action and stuff and getting Tyreek down the field is 
is key for them. They're not a great pass-protecting team. They're very good on first and second down with the players. Players shots are getting two outside the pocket and watching at the Tyreek. But if you can get them in third and long, I think that's when you can get them. And that's when other teams have gotten them because they're not a great pass-protected team. Uh, but if, so stopping the run and stopping Mostert, et cetera, is important. But what, I mean, how do you cover them? I mean, do you, do you play, uh, do you, do you, do you play aggressively? Do you play more bend, don't break and try to tackle well when they complete balls underneath? I mean, uh, what, what do you do when, when you're facing Tariq Hill, who's the most dangerous player in the league? Well, I think you got to play coverage, you know, and that's the thing. If you want to play a light box, then your front six or your six-man boxer uh, has to play extremely well against the run. They have to be gap sound and they have to be physical at the line of scrimmage and you have to somehow limit their running game with no certain, I don't know if HM is going to play or not, but those guys, when they're, when they're putting up big points, look at those guys rushing yards and rushing stats. It's really impressive the way they run the ball. And then that forces you to play some single high safety stuff and bring the safety down, and that's when Tyreek and Waddle really get you. So I think you try to start early and play in some shell coverages, maybe roll a Tyreek Hill um, safety over the top or play cover two or uh, cover six, whatever you want to do, and then uh, try to stop the run with a light box. And if you can't, then you got to bring that safety down and hold on. Play outside leverage and force everybody into your middle safety and do the best you can and play over the top. You know, you said something, and I just pulled up um, a number real quickly. Miami and San Francisco have faced the fewest third downs of any teams in the league. It's because they make first downs on first and second down, you know, over and over again. Yeah. They do that on first and second down. Um, much easier to play if you're not in third and three, third and five, with kind of the pressure that goes with third down if you don't have to face that. Uh, and those two teams face it um, less than anybody else. All right. Uh, prediction on Sunday. I think Washington's going to keep it close. I think it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game, kind of like uh, probably 34-27 to 27 type thing, 34-20. Yeah, I think, I think Washington keeps it within a touchdown. Wow. All right. Uh, Washington plus the points. Uh, enjoy the football this weekend. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Jay Gruden, everybody, will finish up with the smell test right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The smell test brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and they'll give you a cash bonus on your initial deposit. Washington right now a nine and a half point underdog to Miami at my bookie. The total for the game, the over under on the game is 49 and a half. That's the highest 
of the totals on the NFL board this weekend, including last night's Dallas-Seattle game, which went off at 47.5-48, somewhere around there. Washington has not been anywhere near, I don't think. Maybe the Dallas Thanksgiving Day game, uh, where the total was pretty high. I think that went off at 48. But uh, 49.5 is the largest uh, total of the year for Washington. You know, early in the year, they had some of the lowest uh, over-under totals on the season. Uh, if you are looking for a place to place sports bets, my bookie is your spot. If you've already got a spot and you're looking for a second spot, my bookie's perfect. Fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair prop bets. Here are some of the prop bets this week. Actually, I pulled up a couple of them. Uh, Sam Howell's over-under on passing yardage, 264 and a half. Uh, minus 105 if you want to go over 264 and a half. Tua's is 282 and a half. Uh, they have so many prop bets on every NFL game. You know, if prop bets, player prop bets are your thing, my bookie's got so much uh, for you to choose from. Uh, fair point spreads, fair props, fair everything, fair pricing, most importantly. You're not going to overpay on a loss. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code. Kevin DC. Seven, seven, and one last weekend. That followed a five and five weekend the weekend before. I am 67, 67, and five on the season on the season. 500 exactly. Uh, and this is the final college football weekend uh, of the year before we get to bowl season. This is conference championship weekend and that's we where we will start. Uh, tonight, Oregon's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over Washington in the Pac-12 title game out in Vegas. Uh, Washington is just the third undefeated top-five team to be a seven-point or larger underdog in their conference championship game since 2005. Look, the reason Oregon's a big favorite is because you know, everybody's described them this way. They have passed the eye test. They lost to Washington in their head-to-head earlier this year, 36-33. to uh, They have destroyed everybody else on their schedule, with the exception of Texas Tech, who, who they had a close game with earlier uh, in the year. Um, but uh, they haven't played a lot of really good teams. Their toughest opponent really would have been after Washington would have been the road game at Utah, but this isn't the same Utah team we've seen in recent years. They crushed them 35-6. to uh, They beat Oregon State last week 31-7, to a week after Washington barely beat Oregon State 22-20. to Now, Washington was on the road. Oregon played that game at home. Uh, it is everything you see when you see Oregon. You see the most explosive offense in the country, uh, other than maybe LSU's. Uh, and you see a quarterback playing at a high level. Um, and with Washington, they have not been super impressive since beating Oregon 36-33 to in mid-October. You know, they, they barely beat a really bad Arizona State team. Uh, they they struggled with that Utah team that Oregon destroyed. They beat Oregon State, as I mentioned, by two in the rain. I think that was their most impressive win. Last week, they converted a fourth and one in their own territory. They could have punted it. It was 21-21, and they uh, kicked a walk-off field goal to beat their arch-rival Washington State. Um, in what uh, won't be the final game between those two teams. They've actually extended 
uh, that game for another five years, even though Washington State uh, is without a league, uh, or I guess they're headed to the Mountain West. I forget where Washington State and Oregon State will end up going, but with Washington heading to the Big Ten, they're, they're going to continue that series. But you know, as a 16-point favorite last week, they were lucky to survive Washington State. So that's why Oregon is a big favorite. You know, Oregon, many people believe, is the best team in the country. But the public thinks that Washington's getting way too many points. And they're taking the points with Washington. Uh, I didn't think Oregon would be this big of a favorite. I thought they would be every bit of a seven-point favorite. Nine and a half, it might go to ten in spots, might come down a half point. Who knows? You know, I have this thought about this game that if I didn't have a side uh, based on sort of the contrarian smell test handicapping theory, I'd actually give Washington a look-see just because I would bet they're a hungry football team tonight. You know, they have been hearing from the so-called experts that Oregon passes the eye test and they don't. And they beat Washington, uh, they beat Oregon earlier this year. Uh, but sticking with the formula, Oregon is a favorite uh, at nine and a half, which seems too big, and the public agrees. They're pounding Washington. I'll take Oregon minus the nine and a half tonight in Vegas in the Pac 12 championship game. In the Big 12 championship game, that kicks off the Saturday action at 12 noon tomorrow. Texas is laying anywhere from 14 to 14 and a half. Uh, and the public likes the dog in this one as well, Oklahoma State. I think Texas is actually coming off maybe their most impressive outing of the year since the Bama win in week two. They crushed Texas Tech last week 57 to 7. This number is perceived to be too high, so the public's backing the underdog in this one. I'll take Texas and lay the 14. Tulane is laying three and a half against a banged up SMU team. I understand that, but the public is still backing SMU. Tulane has struggled to score. They're kind of lucky to be here at 11 and one. They've had a lot of close calls. Um, They had a two point win over Tulsa, a three point win over East Carolina, a two point win over Rice, a seven point win over North Texas. Uh, Meantime, Southern Miss, uh, Southern Miss, Um, Southern Methodist, as in SMU, has been destroying teams. Tulane's favored. I think some people are surprised at that. They're favored by three and a half, so that half point's just hanging out there, uh, incenting more SMU action. I'll take Tulane and lay the three and a half. Let's go to Sunday, where last week was a Sunday of favorites. This weekend, I got a lot of dogs. Um, I say Sunday of favorites. A lot of favorites covered last week, more than in any other weekend in a long time. Uh, we did get the dog with the Bears on on Monday Night Football. Uh, I'll start with this. How is Atlanta only a one-and-a-half-point favorite over this Jet team that can't score points? I know how good they are defensively. You guys know how good they are defensively. They have not covered now in four straight games in which they have scored six, 12, Six and with their new quarterback last week, 13 points. Atlanta's coming in off of that win over New Orleans with Desmond Ritter being back in as the starter. Uh, And they're only laying a point and a half. The public absolutely loves Atlanta to destroy the Jets. Uh, This is a tough one. (laughs) You got to hold your nose on this one. There's sharp money on the Jets. I don't even understand that, but I'll take the Jets. 
plus the one and a half. The Patriots are playing. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give out the Patriots again. Sorry. They're playing at home. They're getting five and a half to the Chargers. They got three and a half last week, or they were laying three and a half to the Giants last week, and I gave them out. And they were one of the few uh, favorites that did not cover. Uh, the Chargers should be seven point favorites over a team that can't score. I mean, I'm giving you some teams that have been bad and bad recently. I am sorry. I mean, the Giant, the, the Patriots scored seven against the Giants, six against Indy uh, in Frankfurt a couple of weeks ago. Uh, their biggest scoring output point uh, out, output in the last four weeks was their 17 against Washington. So. Uh, of course, I'm giving out the Patriots plus five and a half uh, against the Chargers, who have to to get on a roll here. Or, I mean, if they lose to the Patriots, I would think Brandon Staley is officially uh, gone. Patriots plus the five and a half is the play. The Cardinals are getting five and a half on the road against Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh got it rolling offensively, not on the scoreboard, but. The first 400-yard-plus day since, what, 2020 or 2021, something like that. Uh, the public's all over the new-look offensive Steelers. I'll take the Cardinals plus the five-and-a-half. The Panthers made a coaching change, and yet they're only getting five-and-a-half at Tampa. Uh, Tampa needs this one to stay in the uh, wild-card race. The public likes Tampa. It's one of the biggest public bet teams of the weekend. I'll take Carolina plus the five-and-a-half. Uh, the Bengals, uh, the Packers on Sunday night football are getting six at Lambeau against the Chiefs. Chiefs always a public favorite. There's sharp money on Green Bay. Jordan Love has played two really good games in a row. Um, I like the Packers plus the six. And then I'll, then I'll go opposite of Jay Gruden. Uh, the most heavily bet public team of the weekend is Jacksonville laying the eight and a half. Uh, I'll take uh, this guy, Jake Browning, plus the eight and a half on Monday Night Football at Jacksonville. Cincinnati somehow has to get it done uh, on Monday night. I don't love that. I don't love any of these picks, but they all fit the formula. So there it is. Oregon minus nine and a half tonight. Tomorrow, Texas minus 14. Tulane minus three and a half. On Sunday, the Jets plus one and a half. The Patriots plus five and a half, the Cardinals plus five and a half, the Panthers plus five and a half, the Packers plus six on Monday night football, on Sunday night football, excuse me, and then on Monday night football, it is the Bengals plus the eight and a half. All right, that's it. Enjoy this football weekend, the last football weekend, including uh, college football other than the bowl games. And we got plenty of those starting in two weeks. Back on Monday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.